Hi, I'm Trip Elix, and this is Create. This is a special episode number 21 where I talk with Kevin Chapman and Lainey Goodell about how to publish your first book and things that you need to think about if you've ever thought of publishing yourself, including getting an agent, how cover design, you name it, we talk about the entire deal. And here is Kevin and Laney. So you guys know each other from a writer's group or something online? Mm-hmm. We what are. Is it? Yeah, we're both part of a, uh, a group of independent authors who get together and uh, read each other's books uh, and give each other advice and feedback and reviews and otherwise try to support each other. Wow. Wow. Hey, can I join? How do I join? This sounds great. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Uh, it is you find easy. us on Facebook. Oh, okay. Which one on Facebook guide you? I, we can, I can send you the, uh, a, a link to the, uh, to the administrator who has to invite you in. It's a private group. Oh, okay, cool. No, there's, um, no, I'm, I'm really interested in that, in being in any kind of, group that is active there's a lot of um fake groups if you will um <laughs> that have um somebody trying to make a buck on consulting on facebook yes there is there, there are, are a lot of them. Them. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a few of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm in several also <laughs> So w- you wanted to do something about books. So what was it that you wanted to do on books? Right. So the idea is to, to talk about the, the process of independently publishing your book. So if you've got a book or an idea for a book and you're thinking, oh, yeah, this is the time, um, what do you do? How do you do it? What do you go? How is the, what's the process of going about uh, uh, getting your book self-published? Uh, There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of places you can go to get information. And one of the things that I wanted to do was to talk about where to go to get good information and avoid bad information and uh, how to getting ripped off by people who are trying to make you pay for things that you don't need to pay for. You mean for $10,000, I can't get my book (laughs) on the New York Times list? Wow. Really? Yeah, yeah. I had a guy. I had a guy call me up and and offer to uh, to pitch my book to movie producers for me. They thought my book was wonderful and it would make a great movie. And of course, I agree. But uh, they won't. <laughs> it's uh, it would only be twenty five thousand dollars to uh, to make it happen, and they would pay half. See, mm-hmm. I only I only have to front half the money. So yeah, so yeah, so there are a lot of scams out there, and yeah, uh, there are. And we can talk about maybe some of those. We can, we'll agree on some things. We probably disagree on some things. Uh, but the idea is to is to get some basic information out there for somebody who is thinking about. Well, I got this book I want to write, or I've already written a book, or I'm thinking about writing a book, and uh, what do I do? Is it a is it a terrible process to to get it published these days? And the answer is no. Uh, as you know, and uh, so it's a, it's a, uh, it's a. The target audience are not people who are already published, but people who are unfamiliar with the process and who might be interested in it. Well, that sounds like a, that sounds like a great idea. You know, why don't we go through the entire process then? I've been through this. I'm on book three or four actually. So yeah, I've 
been through this once or twice, actually three times. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't send you the rundown, Trip. I have a rundown for the show uh, with eight segments that are all about five to eight minutes each. Um, but yeah, we want to go through the whole process. And if there's things that I'm on my list to talk about, we'll talk about them too. You know, one of the things we have to tell people who are thinking about their first self-published book is don't expect you're going to sell a lot because uh, you're not, at least not in the first months or even six months or even the first year. Unless you sell in a niche. Yeah, unless you have some very, very specific, or unless you are a person that's already got a, uh, uh, a name, an audience. Eh? Yeah, and how uh, you get the right. name is just like you guys with me, and it, it is persevering, putting your name out there every single day with a different host, and every 30 or 40 appearances, you get one. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and one of the things that that was the fact for me um my book didn't actually start selling copies until i hit the one year mark and i made a big deal out of the whole book birthday thing and all of a sudden my sales from this year are three times as much as my sales from last year wow um, that's really good it, well it also helps that i put out another book and so there was there was more there but but putting out the second book really boosted the sales from the first book. Yep. But it did. It took a year. It was the book birthday when I started seeing things start increasing. 100% what, is, correct, yeah. what is your book? So my first book is called Salvagium, and it is a romantic horror novel. Okay. And my second book is uh, Lune Lumen, and it is a paranormal mystery about a vampire private investigator set here in Denver. Okay. And how about you? What are your books? Uh, the, uh, the, actually, this is the third book I've ever written, but the first book in the series that I'm currently working on is called Righteous Assassin. Uh, it's a crime thriller series starring a New York City homicide detective named Mike Stoneman. So it's the Mike Stoneman thriller series. So the first book was Righteous Assassin. Uh, the second book is called Deadly Enterprise. That's the one that just is now today available on Audible, finally. Uh, and I'm, I'll just get ready to publish the third one, which is called Lethal Voyage. It's a murder mystery set on a cruise ship, fortunately before the coronavirus. So we'll... <laughs> yeah, well, um, my, uh, my first book was Extortion Where a Hacker's Tale. A Right to Property was second, which is a book about your private information not being for sale um, mm. and how to get around it. And the third is called Protecting Kids Online, that I wrote specifically for publicity. And in order to get onto TV news, you are not allowed to, they won't have a novelist on regular TV or on regular radio programs unless there's some special reason. So I wrote nonfiction books so that I could write novels on top of those and always get interviewed. Great idea. Right. And, and listen, self-help books or, or in, informational books that are public the, interest, that's great because it will, it will the, get you publicity. And understanding what people buy, the, th the big winner of the three of us is her. <laughs> yeah, romance. No. Uh, no. For, for, 
No, uh, vampires and werewolves yeah. win every single <laughs> time. Well, I have a degree in criminal justice and a degree in psychology. So one of the things I do is I, I use both of those to create the horror and the crime scenes um, based on my, my training and experience. So I do pretty well adding vampires into crime novels. And I mean, here's <laughs> sure. a genre people enjoy. Like, um, actually, I just had a novelette come out this week, yesterday, um, which is, it's the original Grimm fairy tale of Snow White, only it has vampires in it, too. So. <laughs> Can't go wrong with vampires. <laughs> no, no, that, that wins. That wins. Um, that, it, it doesn't say so on the internet, but... <laughs> That wins. I know it wins. I, <laughs> I've seen it before. So uh, now I need one of those people who's going to, you know, turn it into a movie, any of the three into a movie, and I'll make millions of dollars and be hideously famous, right? <laughs> and all I could do is snap my, famous, my fingers. And that's hideously you know. famous, maybe. The, the money, I don't know. I, there, <laughs> I got set up on a blind date with um, a famous novelist sister. Um, okay. Nope. I think so. Yeah, it was a romantic. I went through movie. Cameron Diaz phase. I saw all of them. Yeah, the woman that I met did not look like Cameron Diaz. At all. <laughs> <laughs> but her, her, their brother was a scriptwriter in Hollywood, and she is a novelist and got her. Uh, book turned into a movie about her crazy sister who did uh, absolutely crazy things. That's who I was set up with by a couple of what I thought were friends. <laughs> and it's kind of like it's kind of like the woman that's got three kids that's got three fathers and she doesn't really know who any of the men are. Um, that sounds like an excellent day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we all do what we can do. So, so where, why don't we go through your, your steps? You are more organized than I am. So the, the rundown that I had after introductions of us uh, was to, to talk, first of all, to talk about resources and where, where you should look for information. We're going to give you some information, but part of the information we're going to give you is where to go to, to find resources for you if you are a prospective author looking to self-publish. Um, and then to spend some time talking about the process, the writing process. It's not a, not a, we're not going to talk about how to write a book, uh, but just some things about you might not have thought about as an author. You, you have a book that you've written. You think you've got a book. What you've got as a draft of a book, and now what do you do with that to try to make it into something that people might actually read on uh, and buy, uh, and a few tips about how to handle that. Um, we want to spend a little bit of time talking about getting an agent. If you really wanted to publish traditionally, do you want to give a shot at that before you go push the button and self-publish? The answer is it's very, very, very hard. If you don't have a, if you're not a celebrity and you don't have a, an audience of, of 100,000 Twitter followers or whatever, uh, it's very hard to get published. But 
it's something you could think about uh, before you decide, okay, well, I'm just going to self-publish. And how do you do that? And where do you go to get resources about that? Um, and then how to put together a reasonably professionally looking book that you can self-publish. What are the elements of that? How do you do that? How much money will it cost uh, to do it well? Um, and then a little bit of time spent on, on expectations about marketing and, and what you can do to start the process of building an audience and things you can think about before you publish, about getting the word out and, and building a, 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 an audience starting with your friends and family and going from there. Uh, and then Amazon to talk about, is there anything, is there any reason not to just publish on Amazon? Um, I am Lainey, I mean, are, are you, in, are you on other platforms besides Amazon? No, I'm just on Amazon. Yeah, neither am I. And I've looked into it pretty extensively because my audiobooks are, are out on all the other platforms. I'm not, mm -hmm. ex I'm not exclusive with Audible, which is why they hate me probably. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, up. but if you're, if you've got one book and you're getting ready to publish it, there's really no reason to mess around and go anywhere else and just do it on Amazon and well yeah no and you put it in KDP and then right. anybody and Kindle unlimited right yeah yeah and Kindle unlimited and you never get paid for your book and anybody can read it for free great idea <laughs> uh, yeah I told Amazon I give Amazon a shot and then now that I don't care but if you want to make money off your book you could put it on Amazon for people to find it and then sell it out of your backpack because yeah. you order author gonna, copies and you know, five bucks each, and then you sell them for twenty. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, and that's well, what I do too. No, uh, I I sign up with Ingram and Amazon, and Amazon ships them for free. Ingram does not, but the printing cost depends on the size of the book. And this, do you spec your book for the cost? of production versus sale for the size of the book? Or do you just do it on the whim and say, I want to make a five by eight? I'm a whim kind of person. I do it based on what it should look like in, in my head. Um, what do I want it to look like and feel like when I'm actually holding it? And then, you know, if it costs a little bit more for the production, then I, I just go with it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, but one of the things I wanted to, to, to battle back and forth is the pros and cons. I mean, what are the upsides? What are the downsides? What are the, these are just the things you should think about because sure. if you don't think about it and then you push the button and now you're exclusive on Amazon, mm -hmm. what did you just do? And is it a, is it a, is it a decision you're going to regret? Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe not, probably not, but maybe, and, and it's something to think about. Um, but if you don't go, if, if you don't already have an audience and you don't really have any idea of how you're going to distribute a book and what you're going to do with this book or how you're going to publicize the book, how you're going to get it in people's hands if they want one. Sure. Amazon's easy. KDP is easy. So it's, it's uh, definitely that. <laughs> and so those are all the things, uh, you know, it's kind of the rundown of steps and other topics may come up along the way, but that was the, uh, the quick rundown of the things I wanted to cover. Sure. So let's start at the beginning. Sure. So why don't you start? I mean, the first thing you said about agents is I had an agent. I had an agent because I knew a professional writer. I know a bunch of them actually in my area. 
I went to a book signing for Franz Dusky. Do you know Franz? Mm-mm. Franz is a a novelist. He wrote uh, Elvis and Me was one of them. He wrote a book uh, with a guy that hung out with Frank Sinatra before he was famous. <laughs> cool. Um, Franz has an agent who and prints books. And let's talk about the printing industry and where the money is and self-publishing because – a lot of people don't understand that and they think that they want publishing and you do want publishing. Do you guys follow or have you ever heard of Joanna Penn? I don't believe I have. I don't think so. Oh, you really should check her out. She's from England. She has probably, yeah, she's got like at least 35 books out there. Some of them are on the writing craft and some of them are novels. Excuse me, Joanna, if you do listen to this, I do not enjoy your novels. I'm sorry. (laughs) They're not written for me. It's one of the great things about books. You don't actually have to like everything you read um, because there's always another book out there and another author. But she's been a podcaster and she's a video caster and she does publicity on books. Her books are available globally. She had hired an agent at one point and had a book on the New York Times bestseller list. She was like number five. She did that to increase her audience. Mm Mm-hmm. Most people don't know how the New York Times bestseller list works. I do know people that have done this. It does work. You go through distribution. In other words, you hire an agent. You print your book through distribution. You buy 80,000 copies of your book the first year, and you put them in a warehouse so that they've been purchased through distribution. They are off-market. And that will get you on the New York Times list. Hmm. If you go to Greenleaf Publishing, they're in, a, in Austin, Texas. You might want to write that down. Greenleaf is an a la carte publishing company. Scott Greenleaf started that company. And what he did is consolidate the bookstores at the airports. If you want your book at an airport, it's roughly... a week to display your book at the airport. And that space is just for marketing, not for really selling a book. They carry about eight books at any one time in any store at the airports. Um, And then FedEx is a day away because you're spending $15,000 a week to have your book at the airport. These are just things uh, in, if you want an agent, I can get you an agent. Anybody can go out to Greenleaf. They can get you an agent or give you an agent or tell you to get an agent. But the way it works with fiction and nonfiction is a little bit different. Yes. Fiction, an agent expects for the book or the manuscript to be complete, not the artwork and the other things because the publishing house owns that they don't pay for that. You do, but they will tell you what they expect 
on the cover. Nonfiction, you write a you write a proposal and give a sample chapter to show your writing skill. Mm-hmm. And you give that to the agent and the agent shops that with large companies to what? To make a deal so that they can make $30,000 in two years. That's the goal. So if you have enough people that will buy your book and you can prove that you're worth $30,000, they will give you a 12 grand, 15 grand up front so that they double their money in two years mm-hmm. in profit. I mean, this is how the system works. I fired my agent, okay, because he was a great guy, okay? I had a decent idea. His best friend was my co-writer because my writing sucks, and that's why I wanted to re- hang out with you. <laughs> The lady but, and I are both both writing fiction, which is a different process entirely for mm-hmm. for who your audience is and and oh and, yeah yeah fiction. yeah and and the other side of it is they're more loyal than the nonfiction people. Well, that's I true. Think that's probably you've true. Got a fan base. Mm-hmm. And and once you have people that have enjoyed something that you've written, they're interested in seeing the next thing that you've written. Whereas with nonfiction, if if I write a book about teaching, my fan base is going to be different if um, I turn around and write a book about creative writing or about improv theater for teenagers or whatever. I mean, they're different topics, and so you've got a much different audience. Sure. But with fiction, you can convince people that, yeah, okay, even though I've written the second book in a different genre, it's my writing style and my characters are going to be similar enough to the first one that you like that you're going to want to check it out. Right. And the other side of it, too, is that you can come back and say, it's from lightning. I mean, I, I, I'm the same person. So the fan is, get, and this was my first point, the fan is attached to you, not what you're writing. It's some of what you're writing is, but they're really following you. And that gets lost. It gets lost in translation for so many. They just don't, they don't get it. They think that their book is going to stand up on their own legs. And by the way, I've been doing this publicity thing for a while. So I've had people that I've talked to that just think that it's about their book. And it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction either. Yeah, but if you take if you take the next bestseller uh, from Michael Connolly, because all Michael Connolly books now are bestsellers, mm-hmm. and you put mm-hmm. and you put my name on it and put it out there uh, for sale, nobody's going to buy it. It's exactly the same book, but it's right. it's, it's it's not going to sell. Or uh, you can go like J- George Grisham, <laughs> and take your book and put his name on it. And now it'll sell like well, I mean, because it's and that's one of the right. things. If, look at the look at the new James Patterson books. If you look at all of the new James Patterson books, they are all co-written by somebody else. Um, and I actually took his masterclass the first year it was offered, um, trying to. Uh, part of that was the competition to get to be one of the first co-authors. 
um, which I didn't participate in just simply because I'm actually not a huge James Patterson fan, but I really enjoy classes on writing. Um, but but these books, these these co-authors are making a name for themselves because James Patterson's name is at the top of the book. Sure. And then it says under, I think Candace Fox is one of them. Um, and see, I know the name Candace Fox because she co-wrote with James Patterson. So there is quite a lot to be said for building your name, building your brand. And that's one of the things that I didn't realize before I published my first book was so important to start before you publish your first book. Sure. Um, I host a uh, Twitter chat every other Tuesday. Um, and it's called MC Chat. Um, and basically you role play as a character from, one of, from your work in progress and answer questions as your character so that you can flesh out that character. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. It's actually, it's, it's fascinating. And we, we also trade tips and advice um, that actually falls under the resources, uh, Kevin, as far as I'm concerned, because um, it's one of the things that's helped me so much building, um, building my world. You know, your characters have to have backstory, whether the details that you come up with for your backstory ever make it into the novel or not, you need to know them because it's, forms who they are. We all have stuff about us that we don't talk about on a regular basis that forms who we are as people. Um, but, but my point was, um, I didn't host MC chat previous to the, the publication of my novel. I was rarely on Twitter. I didn't really know how to work it. Uh, <laughs> and I took that over along with my best friend, uh, Jen Owenby, who has a novel coming out hopefully in the next year. Um, and that really increased my fan base because I talk about my characters. I, I role play my character. I, I am my characters. And so then when the book comes out, people are like, oh, hey, wait, I know that person. I know that character. I've heard this before. I know these details. That is and really cool. One of the first steps I feel if you're going to be an independent author is to start building that fan base even before your book is done. Um, as long as you're relatively certain you're actually going to finish, because it would really suck to get everybody's hopes up for something that sounds amazing. And then you're like, oh, yeah, well, I got busy and I moved on and I would prefer to buy shoes. Well, there lies the difference between somebody who wants to be an author and somebody who wants to write a book. And yeah. those, two, those are two very different things. You know, if, yes, if, you, if you want to write a book because you've always wanted to write a book and you've got a, one great idea, you think, for a book and you want to get it done great, write it, do the best you can with it, get it out there. Uh -huh. And then, and then if you get the itch to do another book, well, now you may, maybe you're an author. You know, that's you, you, you it, the first book is just, you just wrote a book. Uh, right. The third book and the fourth book and the fifth book. All right. Now, now you are, now you're an author, but did you really want to be it? Did you know you wanted to be an author when you started? And right. That, you get to your point. Yeah. If you knew that when you started, you would have done what? What are the things you would have done to, to, uh, to, to get yourself more established and to start building a network? But this is really all about networking. It is. And I think one of the most important things is to have that social media platform. You know, build yourself a website. Uh, there are so many free websites that are free website platforms. I am not a computer person. <laughs> I, I grew up with one. <laughs> my, my brother, I listened. Um, all through high school and college and everything, but I still don't understand it. So I think it's called a platform where you build a website. <laughs> um, but I, you know, have your website, get your social media account 
going, um, make sure that you, you build yourself an author page on Facebook or a group. Um, I'm finding that uh, my cousin is also a vampire romance author, um, and she has a Facebook group, whereas I have a page. Well, she has a lot more interaction on her group than I have on my page, and I'm, I'm in the process of, of looking to convert mine because that's one of those things that we don't ever talk about before we sit down to become independently published authors. So... Well, let's talk about that for a minute, because that's, that's a great subject, which is where do you go to get yourself out there, wherever there is, and how do you do it without spending a lot of money? And well, you're right. Doing it, doing it for free, and that is my, my thing. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't spend any money on, on any of that stuff. I mean, occasionally, I'll bump something on Facebook or do a boost right. on Facebook, because I know that it's going to attract uh, some some people and I'll retain them, but it doesn't mean I don't do it all the time. And I don't like Facebook, by the way. I I don't like it for a bunch of reasons. I use a pseudonym on everything now because Facebook wouldn't let me use my pseudonym as a professional on their pages, so I converted mine into a pseudonym yeah they wouldn't oh yeah okay i see what you're talking about now yeah my my name is is an ashley laney um but all of my social media accounts are under laney for that reason i I have a famous person's name um that's one of the other things you got to think about if you're going to be an author is what's your name and do, do, right. a search, do a search of your name to see whether there are other authors out there with the same name. If well, not necessarily. Are, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, ahead, if, if there are, then you need to think about do what can you do? Can you can you go by a, a you're, you're at a middle initial or a middle mm-hmm. name or because you don't want to have the same name as some other author. Probably, sure. and you might if you're really trying to pirate their their fan base, but that's yeah. not going to be appreciated either. So no. think about what your author's name is going to be, and whether you want to have a pseudonym, a pen name. And like you said, um, don't just look for other authors. Look in general. My name is actually Melanie. Um, I just cut off the me at the beginning, um, but there is another Melanie Goodell who is a pretty well-established pediatrician in Texas that has authored a lot of papers and she speaks at conferences and I write really grisly horror um, for adults and there's sex and there's violence and it's gory and there's blood and I love it. But I did not want my work associated with her name, even though it's my name too, because I'm going to attract all the wrong kind of people that way. I mean, if you're looking for a pediatrician, you're probably not looking for a bloody torture scene right. well i mean parenting is hard but right and if somebody's googling you trying to find you and they find her instead that's exactly either. right but now right. if you google laney goodell everything that comes up for the first two pages on google is me yeah there are a couple of other authors out there named kevin chapman so i'm kevin g chapman so everything i everything i do has to be branded kevin g chapman otherwise yeah. people aren't going to find me as opposed to the other the other Kevin Chapmans out there in the world. So that's important and, and something to think mm-hmm. about before you start. Particularly, and I made this mistake, when you go on to Kindle Direct Publishing to enter the information about your book, there are two fields, first name 
and last name. There is no field for your middle initial or your middle name yeah. or anything else. So if you just put in your first name and your last name and you don't realize what you're doing yet and you get to the end and you, you don't realize those, you just put in the, the, the information that's going to be listed on the Amazon sale page for your book. Right. And wow. I didn't do it right. And so now, so for a long time, the, the, it was just listed as Kevin Chapman. And even though there was a hyperlink and it looked like it should direct people to my author page, it didn't because it just, it just did a general right. search for those two words. So you got to think about those things. And, and, and if you don't do it right, then it, you, you, then how did you then, fix it? You put Kevin space G now, whenever I put something in, yeah, my first name is Kevin space G period. That's my first name when it, when it goes into the oh. KDP. Yeah. Nothing like the, um, the Goliath of Amazon and its perverse logic. <laughs> and I did successfully get them to go in and change it on the previously published books, but it was a process and right. everything takes forever. So sure. Try to do it right the first time and, uh, and you'll be much better off. Ellen, you know, just quickly back to, to pen names and pseudonyms and all of that. If you start at the beginning of the process, thinking about who you want to be as an author, I think that's a great opportunity to try on different things. You know, try signing your name as, you know, Olivia Dupree or um, Bobby Dixon or, you know, whatever. And I apologize to anybody who's actually named either of those things because they just came out of my head. But, um, but try them on. Sign your name. One of the things I really like about Lainey is that I, I have this really curvy, intricate L that I do when I'm signing books. And it makes me feel good to see it on the page. So, you know, at the beginning of the process, when you start writing your book, you know, chapter one, start thinking about who you want to be and how you want to be recognized when it comes to building your fan base. Because now people, you know, will come to me, I, I do a lot of events around town, and um, people will come to me and they'll say, hey, Lainey, and I'm like, okay, well, I need to recognize myself as Lainey. <laughs> I grew up as Melanie. Yeah, well, people around where I'm at in the Hartford area, half of them know me as part of them know me as Trip, and part of them know me as Bill. And then my Facebook people that have known me forever call me Trip now, which really is kind of irritating with the ones that are my relatives. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> um, but I mean, you do get after you've been doing this for a while. I was in Detroit on a plane transfer. And I'm sitting in the waiting area and some guy that looked like he lived under an overpass, um, you know, with the backpack and grungy mm -hmm. walks up to me and goes, your trip, right? And I was thinking he's not obviously not police. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi. And he goes, can we do a selfie together and rips out his cell phone? And I'm like, yeah, sure. man." <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. Why not? <laughs> That's awesome. Sign anything? Where did you hear of me? Uh, it's been around. He's got to be in the hacking world, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but Lainey, you just said something too, which was around town, dealing with the right. You, yeah. you 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 start yourself in in a small universe and you expand outward. So yeah. if you can become semi-famous in your own small world. 
and, and you, you know, start with your own town. That's great, you know, and you just make yeah. appearances. You, you show up places. You get your name in the newspaper. You, you do guest columns. You do spots on the local radio show. You, you, know, you, you do everything you possibly can to make that small universe know who you are. Sure. And then that, you know, those people know people who know people, and they, you, know, you get on. Where are you guys physically? Laney? I'm in Denver. And you? It's a great I, place to be this week. I'm in uh, central, <laughs> central New Jersey. Okay, and I'm in Connecticut. I'm in central Connecticut. That idea that you just said about your local community works better for Laney than it does for Hartford. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, I luck out because there's so much here. In New Jersey, it may or may not work depending on what part of Jersey you're in. The reason that I say that is that I'm in the middle of a university city. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hart School of Music is right next to me, and I'm across the street from St. Joseph's University. That's where I live. Oh, wow. So the local community is very closed compared to Denver. I've been to Denver. I used to travel, so I know all cities pretty much. Um, I spent time all over the U.S. New Jersey is a different place. There's New Jersey. What part of New Jersey? I'm, I'm just outside of Princeton. Oh, okay, okay, sure. I used to go there for computer shows a long time mm-hmm. ago. Nice place. Oh, it's a beautiful place, but yeah, it, it is. It, it's uh, you know there are a lot of uh, a lot of little bookstores still uh, in this area. Mm-hmm. So you know, for me, I, I try to get out to the local bookstores and and uh, you know there, there, there's the university. Although I don't have any real connection to Princeton University. <laughs> there used to be a really cool little bar bookstore thing. It was in the stockyard. It was almost a Bohemian joint in Denver, uh, down by the train yard downtown. Which, cool. uh, well, we have a lot of little bars like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> we have a lot of bars. <laughs> no, it, it was um, like a bohemian bookstore thing that had um, a fake set of stairs that went up a wall with a platform. I, I nobody. Still, well, I mean, everything's closed still. Yeah, everything's uh, closed we're still. We're phasing open, but very slowly, which I'm, I appreciate because I'm immunocompromised. Um, that may be the first time I've ever said that word correctly the first time. Um, but so, you know, I haven't, that one of the things I'm noticing is that it greatly impacts book sales and what I'm able to accomplish since, since the lockdown started. Um, but after that's over, or maybe after just the rioting is over, then I'll go down and look and see if I can (laughs) find it because that. I love Bohemian Bookstar Bars. It's been a, quite a few years. It may not have lasted. Well, let me go back to, uh, we were talking about resources for you to get your potential author out there in the world. I mean, obviously it's Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Sure. Uh, you know, there's, you know, within the writing community, there are a lot of places to go to. Um, you know, I mean, Goodreads is one, although you can't register as an author on Goodreads until you have a book. Uh, right. You can certainly get on Goodreads without, you know, just as a reader. And well, and and sometimes it takes a while, just just not so that so that people are not discouraged. Sometimes it takes a while to be able to convert your regular account on Goodreads to an author page. Oh, my really? book was up there for several months before I was allowed to convert my account. <laughs> wow! I maybe it was just me. 
but maybe probably not. I, you know, (laughs) the thing is you got to go through the rules of everything until you find out what the rules are. And this is a problem with the Mm -hmm. computer technology stuff is it's unwritten rules. Well, and there's, and there are so many of them. And for people who are just starting out in writing, especially you're already looking at there are a lot of rules of writing, which I like to break on a regular basis, but the, you know, you have to know the rules to be able to break the ones that, that won't hurt your product. Right. Um, And thankfully I've taught English. So I understand a lot more of that, but then there are the rules of social media and making sure that you're presenting yourself in a way that makes people want to read what you write. And and I am not at all interested in censorship, but at the same time, I'm also careful about how I phrase my opinions and which fights I feel like fighting so that I don't decimate an entire fan base. Um, I stand up for what I believe in is what I believe in, but at the same time, I try to do it as diplomatically as I can so that I, I make sure that I still have friends at the end of the day and there are all of those rules that people don't necessarily think about when they first get started so then when you look at the rules of goodreads it's just one more thing and it gets to be overwhelming well the general rule perhaps is to say if you think you're going to publish a book one day uh every single person that you interact with on the internet particularly on those places that are in your in your wheelhouse whether it's on facebook pages or you know, goodreads or, uh, or any place else all of those people are people to whom someday you're going to be making a pitch that you have a book and you'd like them to read it so think about that every time you interact with them and try to do things that are going to grow your popularity with them, or at least your, their respect for you or their good feelings for you. Don't alienate them. Don't try to right. make them angry with you because now you've just lost somebody who may potentially have been a reader or, or a fan. And if you start thinking that way with every account that you put out there, with every new mm-hmm. group that you join, with every new potential network that you start to build, you start to see, okay, all of these people are people who one day I want them to come to my website and give me their email address so I can put them on my newsletter list and send them publicity material. Uh, so you got to start thinking about that mm-hmm. now, even if your book's not going to be published until next year or two years from now. Right. Can we talk about what she brought up too about the importance of the content and the structure of writing? Because a lot of people don't understand. I mean, if you're new to this and the editor, so many people, including me, I overpaid like crazy on my first novel for editing because I didn't know that editing is a job that really pays a little bit less than your local McDonald's. <laughs> Depends yeah. on the editor, I suppose, but yeah. No, no, I mean, that's for... Well, at the end of the day, no matter how much you pay for editing, you've got to remember that the person that's editing is putting a lot of time and energy into it. And there are different types of editors. Right, right. And, and so there's different pay scales. That it, Well, there are different types of editors, and that's an important part because there are copy editors and there are 
final edit. editors. Too. Right. And the you need and by the way, Greenleaf, which I mentioned before, you can get this stuff a la carte from them. So if you want a developmental uh, editor and just hire from them. The reason that I bring them up, I've never done any business with them. I went to a seminar that they had once and it made such an, such an impression on me wow. that um, I will never, ever forget the lessons that I learned at their seminar. And it wasn't a seminar. It was a seminar that you paid to get into and they, they overdid things like gave you free lunch, gave you dinner and nice. talked all day. And I was one of two people that did not have a book at the time, actually one of three, um, personally. Uh, the other woman that I talked to the entire time now is the lead editor at Greenleaf. Um, oh. The other woman was a secretary to a family that writes a series of books that's in its fifth generation called Barney the Cowdog. They're in Southwest Texas and they sell to elementary schools. And oh. she's just, she was just the secretary there collecting information to take back to the family. And if you ever want to look up a localized book market, and this is a thing that the internet provides and a point that you were making too, is that local community that where you live, if you're in a club, Chamber of Commerce, Garden Club, and you talk about being a novelist with those people that I want to write, a, I'm going to write a book and talk about the inside of your book, you can get the feeling of whether or not they're going to be interested in the material. Oh, definitely. And you can bring them in to the fold. I, my favorite thing is, have you ever read The, uh, the Martian? Sure. The the guy that wrote the new book. So Matt Damon's on the cover. Yes. Yeah. He wrote that book on his blog page. <laughs> One chapter at a time. I read that somewhere. Yeah, he really did. I saw that web. I saw his web page before the book came out because somebody was talking about it that he had gotten a deal. Mm-hmm. And I saw a link, so I went to his page. His The reason that he went to a publisher was he couldn't upgrade his server anymore, and he didn't have enough bandwidth for the blog page to actually load <laughs> because so many people were reading the book. Wow. And, so, and what he did is he had people that were t retired NASA engineers – that were doing telemetry things and formulas for him and including those into the book. Contributing to the, to the writing process, yeah. Okay, so that, that right there is a really important thing to remember since we were talking about content. Right. Um, not only do you need to think about writing the, the rules of writing, um, but as you're going through and you're doing content, um, I have my last job, I was the... Uh, lead program coordinator for the FDA Tobacco Retailer Compliance Check Inspection Program for the state of Colorado. My business cards were really long. Um, <laughs> but 
so that put me in charge of a team of federal inspectors. And so, you know, I don't look like it, but I was a federal agent. Um, and, and I made some great connections that way. So when I write about law enforcement issues, I have a former um, decorated DEA agent that used to work for me. And so I can reach out to him and I can say, hey, talk me through at a federal enforcement level how this would work. Um, I also have it, a ton of the members of the Asheville Police Department in North Carolina were people I went to school with or people I grew up with, good friends of mine. So I can still reach out to them and I can say, hey, has this forensic technique changed since I got my degree in 2009? So it's important not only to think about how you're writing, but what you're writing and the content. Because like you were saying with the Martian, one of the things that got people interested in that story was that he had that the NASH engineers that were able to help him with formulas and, and walk him through things that involved actual space travel. And it made the story more interesting because it was realistic. And the other and the other side of it too is if you can in the creative process, if you can include your fan base, because mm -hmm. if you have a fan and you actually have fans, they're, when you get to that level, they're almost like a religious experience at times. They will, they will ask you why you haven't produced something. Right. It's the first question people ask you. How's the book going? Or when, when's your next book coming out? Yeah. Yes. Once they know you're a writer, they will they will ask you that question. And, and you were right. on, you were on somebody's show on YouTube. Why don't I see you anymore? <laughs> uh, I've been putting myself out there, so now nobody asks that question. I just keep hammering away. <laughs> Another good example is your alumni association. So if you if you are uh, oh that's a good idea. You went to a school and you have any if you're active at all with your alumni group, um, you're writing a story. Well, why can't part of that story be set at your old college or in your old the old town where the college was at, at you know at a bar that you all hung out at? Okay, now you've got several thousand people who are immediately going to be interested in that because it it touches them somehow. It's gonna, right. It's sure. Gonna relate that so think about that you know it's easy very easy to drop something like that into a story that you're already writing for for other purposes and it, it helps get you a, a a place to market it and now you know all you, now all you need is the addresses of all of those alumni you can send a notice to well you can get that out of the book well, and and that's another thing location is important um if you're if you're writing about a real place uh my first novel salvagium is set in brattleboro vermont my dad's whole family is from that area, and I spent four years there when I was little. So one of the things that I, um, I, I on interviews, I often mention that I grew up playing in cemeteries. Um, but then I moved to the South, where if you play in a cemetery, it's sacrilege. But it's not up North. And so my whole social, social circle growing after that was like, wow, that's weird. And I got this whole reputation for being creepy, uh, which I am, <laughs> but not because of that. Um, but I can link it back specifically to, you know, Brattleboro. Well, okay. So that's a town that doesn't get mentioned a lot. It's a selling factor. 
um, which I did not think of at the time, and it sounds kind of cold that way, but after the fact, you think about the places that you used in your book. I specifically mentioned a sandwich shop. My dad's best friend owned that sandwich shop, um, Uncle Lou, and he made the best sub sandwiches on the planet, and so I put them in my book. Well, that's something... I can tell people on the Brattleboro his, uh, pages on Facebook, oh, hey, I wrote about this place in Brattleboro. Do you have any fond memories of that? Making connections, making connections on the outside. Right. And by the way, I stink at that kind of stuff. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm good at it. So if you ever need any help, let me know. <laughs> that's good. I, my, one of my, my character, Mike Stoneman, is, uh, is a Mets fan. Uh, I'm a Mets fan. I've got a whole circle of other Mets fans. So I, I, I know them from blogs and internet groups and whatnot. Uh, one of my uh, good friends was also an author, writes sports books. Uh, and every year he puts out a, a, a column on his, uh, on his very well-read blog called Faith in Fear and Flushing, uh, a list of all of the references to the Mets in pop culture in the prior year. So appearances... So and appearances on movies and you know and references in books so as always a Mets reference in my books so I can send it to Greg Prince and he can he can print it in his column so it shows up on the list of uh, mm -hmm. references to the Mets in books that were written last year so that's another place that uh, you make a connection with my with all my Met fan friends so that's that is a really good point some of the stuff that we do is so obscure that people don't consider it at first. Um, a, a great place to get some of these tips is, is Twitter. Uh, that's where I learned a lot of it. Um, the, the writing community, hashtag writing community, has been really good for me as far as getting a lot of the tips that I have um, about really obscure, strange ways to promote, such as making sure that your name is on that list of Mets references. Um, I have, I've been on other um, podcasts and I've gotten written interviews through Twitter for random weird connections. I do notice that there's a new one, um, hashtag Writers Cafe, which is more for asking questions about the actual writing process. So that's another good place to get some of that information. Free advice available. Right? And that's the thing. It's all about figuring out the free advice. This summer, I am, right, I am teaching a creative writing class for teenagers, and it's completely online because, of course, we're in lockdown. Um, but one of the things that I'm stressing to my kids is that learn as much as you can for free. They, they are my students for my, my regular job during the school year, and so I am offering this to them for free because they had so many questions that they would stay after class and be late for their next class because they were like, Hey, Miss G, can you talk to me about this random piece of writing that I want to know? Mm -hmm. There are those opportunities for adults also. And so during quarantine, if you're sitting there and you really want to write a book and you're feeling stuck about something or you feel like you don't know enough, which none of us know enough, always learning, <laughs> there are those opportunities online and even just reaching out to one of those free communities and saying, hey, I'm looking for resources can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Do you ever use a critique circle? I do not. I actually haven't what is seen that? that one. That's a fabulous group. It's, it's called Critique Circle. Uh, and it's a, it's a, 
I, I, it's a website. It's not a Facebook group. Um, but it's, okay. a, it's a writer's group and you can, you submit a chapter or a, or a, a fragment of a story or whatever. Um, and the but people will critique it for you and, and, and do an excellent job. They'll edit it for you. And they're Oh, absolutely. It is all okay. very positive and constructive. And people will tell you what's wrong. People will tell you, what no, you what's missing and what you need yeah. to do differently. And, and, you know, if it's bad, they'll tell you it's bad. But they'll do it in a, you know, in a positive, constructive kind of way. And you can get amazing uh, advice and, and, and constructive criticism all for free from other writers who are all exchanging, uh, exchanging ideas. I spent an hour the other day on the phone with a writer who um, I, I, he had done a, a beta read for my, my latest book, gave me some great notes. I read his manuscript, and we spent an hour on the phone with me going through things I thought he needed to do to make this book better. And it was all, I mean, it, it just, it, I'm returning the favor. He did some notes for me. I'm, I'm doing some notes for him. And it's great, and it's, it's all free, and it's out there on the Internet. Okay, and you just touched on something that I want to talk about right quick. Um, so one of the things that we've been coming back to is that there are a lot of steps in, in writing. So yeah, okay, you wrote a book and that's great. And you've got your first draft or your second draft or your final draft or your final, final draft. Trust me, you're not done yet. Um, but at that point, you're not done. Um, there's still, do you, do you have somebody who can look over it and edit it? Or do you need to get an editor? Do you need to hire an editor? Um, I am actually an editor. I've been a uh, freelance editor for the past 17, 18 years. I was figuring it out when I was talking to Kevin the other day, and I was like, wow, that's a lot longer than I thought. Um, but, but you have to have somebody else's eyes on your story. And then once you feel as though everything's been edited and you're actually done, then you're still not done. You need a beta. You've yeah, got to yeah. get people to read your story first. Make sure that you're not missing things that, that are just like simple things, like forgetting you had a character in the beginning of the story that was supposed to come back but never did, but it was kind of obvious that they weren't done. Right. Um, multiple it's, it's multiple people. You need multiple eyes on your book, and you need those people to be objective. So it's helpful if they're not your cousin or your or your best friend or somebody right. who's not not really going to give you tough criticism. You need to find some people who will who will give you an honest opinion, and people who you can respect. And 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 they yes. are out there. And and a lot of them you can find through these various groups that you can get into and, and locally. And other, you know, people and around locally, town. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's, you're right. Yeah, you, 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 you do it, you, you have it, people read it, you revise it, you do a beta read, you revise it again. And I would say now it's ready for the editor. Right. I, I just I, sent my third, dra my third book off to my editor and I, I want it to be perfect before I send it to the professional editor and and that way you know, I do it differently. well the, i see but that way my professional editor can focus on what's really important and the, the, like the, the 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 tough things the, the the little things and doesn't have to spend a lot of time chopping down the big trees because they've already been taken care of well and and my experience is a little different simply because i don't have to pay for editing ah, um, <laughs> i <laughs> Since, since I am an editor, I edit for my best friend, and 
she is also a professional editor, so she edits for me. And I think we are probably the harshest critics that the other one's ever had. Um, she'll tell me upright if something I wrote sucks. She'll just be like, this is so not your quality. You, you need to like, why don't you work on this and send it back to me? <laughs> so, that kind of stuff is really cool. So um, where were we, Kevin? <laughs> well, yeah, we, Kevin, that's all you. <laughs> we had not we we had not really been following the um, the uh, the script very very uh, very carefully. Oh, well, um, unlike me. <laughs> but I think the uh, one topic that we hadn't started to really cover uh, in any depth was uh, making your product look good. Uh, that is to say, you've got your you've got your manuscript. You've you've done whatever editing you can do. You do your own editing. We talked about beta readers. We talked about getting a professional editor. Uh, although we certainly can talk about that some more. Um, but then the question is, okay, now how do you make this thing look presentable, reasonably professional-looking product sure. that you can put out? Now, if you're just going to do it as an ebook, it's a little easier um, to make an ebook look decent um, because you don't need a full wraparound cover for your for your paperback uh, and you don't have to worry as much about the formatting of the interior of the book since on your uh, on your kindle you don't really have a lot of control over what the interior right right look like um, but if you're planning on having at least a few paperbacks that you can put on your shelf and you can give away for as presents for your uh, friends and family and have something you can sign when you take your book with you to the local store or bookstore or, or uh, farmer's market, as you said, um, then you need to spend some time making, the, making it look good, making it, getting it formatted properly uh, mm-hmm. and, and making sure that when it does get printed, even though it's going to be printed through... Uh, Kindle Direct Publishing, uh, that, that it's going to look good on the interior. And, and that's something that takes effort and time and, and practice. Yeah, and practice. A, lot, a lot of practice. <laughs> practice I agree with you. Really, um, the, the best possible thing that you can do is remember to order an, a uh, proof copy before you hit publish. <laughs> oh, yeah. She says yeah. from personal experience. <laughs> yeah. Amazon, Amazon will let you order a, a proof copy uh, that will be what you can get before anybody can actually so will see Ingram. the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Ingram will send you a PDF as a, uh, as a print copy uh, also. And I think Amazon does too, don't they? they yes. They'll do a full print, but they'll also send you a PDF. Yes, after it's formatted. Um, but yeah, so there you, you got to really think about that. And there's a lot of good resources on that too. Um, the, both on the publish, the publishers tend to do a pretty good job of giving you information that will help you make your product look good on their platform because they have a vested interest in you looking good. So whatever, right. whatever you're working with, uh, they, will, they will usually have some good resources, but you still have to go and read them. You have to study them. Uh, right. When I, when I publish my books, I literally go through them paragraph by paragraph in arranging and pushing the letters back and forth by 5% at maximum so that it, 
every paragraph looks right. I do. I don't know how you guys do it, and I'm really curious. I do the real book layout first, and then I dump it all to Kindle and just um, yes, and do it that way. I, I put all my time and effort into the book layout. Yes, if you have your print layout done, it's easy to take that text or that document and and dump it into the ebook format. Uh, right. It's very it's harder to do it the other way, uh, but you can spend hours banging your head against the wall just to get your page numbers to look right and to get the right. headers at the top of your pages to be correct. What do you guys use for that? I am super low tech with all of it. My laptop died a grisly death uh, about a year and a half ago. And I've got one that just needs a little extra, but I'm on a Chromebook for now. And so I actually use Google Docs. And throughout time, I have figured out how to manipulate Google Docs to do what I want instead of having Word, which was what I was used to. So I, I do it all through that. Yeah, I think that... I think Word is horrid, and I don't use that at all. Uh, for I write, I used to write in Word and then take the text out of Word, put it into a version of Notepad so that I scrub all the nasty things that Word does to a document, and then paste it into. InDesign, man, oh man, oh, my yeah. head is gone. And by the way, Laney, you're in a two things. One, you can uh, get a student teacher version on Adobe and actually rent their software for wicked cheap because really? you're a teacher. Um, the per month price on Adobe is like nothing for you. And the other side of it is your school district probably has a license already for Adobe with the district because most school districts, Adobe is tr using the model, was using the model of Apple mm -hmm. of trying to get children into using their product. Therefore, they become a customer when they become an adult. Right. So they're giving discounts to school districts like almost free or free for a number. I, I'm a big fan of free. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, I use yeah, I'll have to look that. I use InDesign and the reason that I use InDesign is that you lay the page out, meaning the page number and the framework of the text mm -hmm. once for each chapter and then you copy the chapters formatting and then you dump the text in and the text just flows across the pages. It is so much easier than anything else I've dealt with. Nice. Um, so I can lay it and then, then I go in each page and I look at the paragraph to see how the paragraph lines up in on that page and it's a WYSIWYG. In other words, when I print the PDF, my PDF comes out exactly like I laid it out. Nothing slides, cool. nothing moves. Adobe products are, are very easy to work with. That's, that's one of their hallmarks, which is great. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it, yeah. The other is that they're extremely expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Another hallmark. You know, I worked for the government before I um, 
well, my last job before I went back to teaching was and writing was working for the government. And so much of what we did was using Adobe products. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I really like about them is how easy they are. It was nice to be able to jump in and figure out how to do it without a lot of fanfare, since most of it wound up being signing contracts and stuff at the last minute. Yeah, the the other side note about InDesign is it's got an export. I'm not using the latest web version. I buy I bought the version a version back from them and mm -hmm. I own it. But the um the export for Kobo, which is the Amazon formatted ebook in their system stinks. <laughs> um <laughs> And the other side of it when we're talking about formatting is Apple has their own layout. Do they? I don't use any Apple products. Well, you, I sell it on the iTunes. And to do it on iTunes in the Apple store, you have to have a Mac to upload it. Gotcha. Well, that so makes I, sense because I have a Mac in my basement just for that. <laughs> So when, with my last position, um, they, they gave me an iPhone that I had to use specifically for doing inspections and, and, you know, reports and all of that stuff while I was out in the field. I hated that thing so much that I just have been so anti-Apple for so long. But all the Android stuff and the, I don't know, the, the Chromebook and the, Windows computers and all of that stuff, they make more sense to me. But I guess it's probably because that's what I was trained on. Yeah, well, you're you're making a whole bunch of people cringe. That are <laughs> I know I am. I'm pissing people off a lot. You, uh, you know what you know. And but my brother, was an, my brother was an Android developer. I mean, there's a little bit of loyalty that I'm expected to have. <laughs> So let me move from, from uh, interior design, which is really what all, all to say is just take some time with it. Think about it. Think about what kind of font you want. Um, Garment. Print, print out pages of your book with different fonts. Garment. And see what they look like on the printed okay. page. Garment. Garment is good. I, I like Georgia. There, there, there are some, there's, there's a lot of, there's a Garment. lot of very useful, very useful fonts. If you but, go, if you go look, go to the, go to a bookstore or go to a library, either one. And once you know typefaces, go through and look at the old books, the new books and the bestsellers and you will find but one single font. <laughs> like that font <laughs> but there's also the there's also other have. things to think about there's there's your margins and your oh space, yeah yeah and space make, between and make it big and, make it big so that old people that are blind can read it, <laughs> it well, and that's one of be, the things yeah. i use um size 12 font because i i looked at what was normal for books and 12 is pushing it a little bit for a novel but at the same time my dad is one of my beta readers and I want him to be able to read what I'm writing. Sure. And I want him, when I hand him a copy of a book, I mean, he's read Lune Lumen like four times since I handed it to him. Yeah. And keep in mind that the, the, the number, the number of a font is not always the same size as the number of a different font. 
So when you, when you yeah. switch fonts, the, the, what, what, what is, what is the same size as maybe a 14 and one font is a 12 and another font. So yeah, or a 13. you have to print it out and you have to look at it and you have to see, am I going to be comfortable reading this? And then, <laughs> then you have to format the whole book using whatever settings you have. If it's 1.15 space between lines or 1.3 space between lines and print the whole book out, or at least not print it, but format it and look and see how many pages you have. Right. And then think about, okay, how much is it going to cost me to print one copy of this book if it's 450 pages uh, versus if it's 295 pages? Well, there's a, there's a really good resource for this. And Ingram Spark has the print cost calculator on their website. You can find it through Google. But what is cool about that is, is once you lay out your book, and I print, I like five by eight books. I mean, that's generally what I print. That's if, what mine are too. If you lay it out, and by the way, Word gives you a wrong number um, <laughs> on five by eight. If you lay out five by eight pages with the margins and try to do it that way. And actually what I do is, and this is personally me, I do a left justified five by eight layout on 11 by 14, eight and a half by 11, 14 paper. Because when I give it to my beta readers, I staple it together and then that gives them a huge area to, to write all over mm -hmm. the pages and I can consolidate, and then I take the pages apart, and I can consolidate all the beta readers at the same time. I've got. Um, it, it, what do you use? Let's talk about that really quick. I don't remember talking about that. In there was one person that I have in my life that's just a voracious reader. Mm -hmm. But what do you do for beta readers? I prey on friends. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. Kind of. Um, well, for me personally, my best friend is a professional editor, and I'm also friends with several other authors that I have made, that I, I've built relationships with after I started my writing experience. And uh, I have one, one friend in particular, A.M. Honchel, that I know for sure will always tell me the truth and make sure that he never leaves any nitpicky little plot tweak out cool um so i use i use connections i've made since i started all of this what about you kevin uh, i i guess they fall into three categories one is uh people who have who on my what i call my whiteboard list my my street team people who are my uh, my biggest fans and who want to read everything before it get, before it gets published they're the worst beta readers because they like everything and they uh, they don't right. tell me what's uh, what's right. what's wrong with it, but they they help. They're uh, like my mom. <laughs> the second category are other authors. You're right. I mean, I I'm, I have a lot of other uh, authors who I connected with over the years with various groups, and and uh, they are very good about volunteering if they have time to say, okay, I'll do yours, you do mine, and uh, we kind of swap swap betas, which is good. And then I actually have a lot of complete strangers uh, that I solicit through various uh, social media outlets, including what I mentioned before, Critique Circle, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can sometimes get somebody to volunteer to do the whole, 
the whole book, not just a chapter for you. Um, and they're terrific because they have no preconceived knowledge of the book or the characters or the series or even you. Uh, so right. you, get a lot of, you get a lot of honest feedback from, from people like that. So you put those all together and, and hopefully you're getting a, a, a pretty good cross-section. Cool. And one of the important things to remember is that, yeah, okay, so there's, there's all this advice saying don't, don't necessarily rely on, on family or close friends or whatnot, but you also have to take into consideration the background. Um, my young adult novel that I'm, I'm shopping now is I wrote it, how old's my kid? So I, I wrote it like 12 years ago, I guess. He was in preschool. And I had sent it to my uncle who is at the time he was, uh, I don't know, a professor at a school and he's written his own book and he is very, 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 very picky about stuff, which was exactly what I needed. And one of the things I know about my uncles is that they're not going to blow sunshine up my butt. They're going to say, oh, hey, wait. And so he sent me a three-page critique outlining the things that he felt were strong and the things that he felt like I really needed to revisit. It hurt. I'm not going to lie. It hurt because there was more that he thought I needed to revisit than I did. But that was, that was perfect because he gave me that feedback I needed. And yeah, okay. I got busy. I had a kid. I'm a single mom. I was still finishing college. I put it in a drawer, but I recently picked it up. I had three brain surgeries <laughs> over the past I don't know, five years or so. And so it was one of my pet projects. I was familiar with it. It was something I, I loved. And so I was able to pick it up and I still had his notes and I was able to work through it. And so I guess my point is, you know, even though the advice is often very black and white, don't use family and friends, take into consideration who your family and friends are. Sure. Before you, before you start looking for strangers on the internet. Because sometimes some of your best resources are right there with you. And there's something else that you brought up, and I, I just want to reinforce that from my own narcissistic point of view. And when somebody tells me that something I've done is a piece of crap that, it, that <laughs> needs to be rewritten, I'll look at it and go through it and make sure that it really doesn't need to be rewritten and keep in the back of the mind that this is yours. It belongs mm -hmm. to you and you can take criticism or tell them to shove it, not take the criticism at all. You are the captain of your own ship. And there are times that people try to give good advice and they may be learned, but they're wrong. And well, yeah, it's okay. And you've got to take everybody's opinion with a grain of salt. Like in, in several of the cases, my uncle was perfectly right about it. I mean, it's not something I had even thought of in that fashion, but he was right. Some of his advice I looked at and I said, oh, well, you're not my target audience. And he said up front, he's like, I'm not your target audience. And I said, okay, well, you know, yeah. I see how a parent of a teenage girl would probably say that, but the teenage girl herself might like this part of it. So, you know, betas are great, but we also need to remember that we don't have to change everything. I was working with a developmental editor for a publishing house that, um, for Salvagium before they decided to go a different direction and they quit publishing my genre. <laughs> but I had a character in, in Salvagium that I loved 
oh my gosh, I love him so much. He is, he is one of my favorite things I have ever created. And this developmental editor was like, I don't see how he's worth being in the book and you should just get rid of him. Meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, but he's instrumental to the storyline. And, and honestly, he really is instrumental to the storyline, but I had not illustrated that properly. So instead of getting rid of the character, what I, went was, what I did was I went back and I pulled him further into the story. I made him a bigger part so that I could illustrate why he was pivotal to the end. Um, and to this day, he remains probably my very favorite character I've ever written. But at the same time, his head was on the chopping block. So you saved him. You know, as authors, we need to remember that the people that we're working with, whether it be an editor or a beta or, or anybody, take what they say. And if it's something that you feel that strongly about, figure out why they're saying it. Zach needed to be part of the story, but I hadn't done a good enough job showing that because they thought that I could just take him out with no consequences. So. Well, you, you have, that's a beautiful point. It's a great story. I, lo I love that. Uh, you, 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 the other thing to think about is when you do finally get an editor and you're paying for an editor, which I highly recommend, even if you're doing your first book, you should think about finding somebody, a professional. And you can find professionals mm -hmm. at varying price points. So it doesn't I'm have a to professional. cost you. Yeah, you are a professional. If, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're, if your listeners know, I am a freelance editor. So. <laughs> And the, it will it will point everybody in your direction, Lainey. That's not really not a problem. <laughs> I I use um, I use I found a after having editing faux pas, I found a company in Florida that's called First Editing that takes it, they're in the Tampa area, and if you're unfamiliar with Tampa, they have five major upper-class universities in their region. And so for a very low dollar value for my entire book, I get a PhD going through my and doing a correction. Nice. Um, of course, I also work with a PhD who told me that the PhD that went through my book uh, is a crappy person, but and I took that with a grain of salt. Because well, hey, they don't have to be a good person as long as they're good at editing, right? Right, right. Well, she she didn't really know who that was. She's like, slices, slices, slices. I'm like, no. Right. And yeah. that's one of the things that's important to remember as you're going through. Everything is a suggestion unless it's a grammar or spelling or punctuation error right, right um everything as far as developmental edits are concerned is is pretty much a suggestion you got to watch your timelines because that pops up in developmental editing i did have one comment from the same editor that that thought that i had done the math wrong on on how old the mom was compared to the son but the age difference was exactly the same as me and my mom so I decided to go ahead and keep that too. <laughs> oh, but, sure. but it's, you know, unless it's something shockingly easy to see is, is true, so much of writing is perception. 
You're right. You're hundred percent sure. hundred percent right. The, the point I was trying to make was that when you do finally get a, an editor, if you do hire a professional editor, uh, it's still your book. You still have to make the final decisions, yes. but you should at least think very seriously about, okay, this person who should know something about what they're talking about is telling you something. So think about it. I, I have oh, yeah. the, yeah. Uh, I have the unique experience uh, that my, my editor is also my daughter. Um, and I want to use my son too. Isn't well, it she's great? A, she's a professional freelance editor, and uh, and she's terrific. And uh, and so I use her. And and the first book that I in this series that uh, of mine, Righteous Assassin, she was very nervous uh, when she sent me back her first round of of, of edits because she thought that I was going to be mad at her because there was a bunch of things that she was suggesting that needed work, needed to be changed. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for her, I, I was happy <laughs> to get her suggestions. <laughs> but she looked at the end of the book, and I had written this book with the end first, and then sort of everything works back to the beginning. And although she, she was fine with the very end, the last sort of three chapters leading up to the end, she found a whole bunch of problems with and really wanted me to completely redo them. And... Um, I fought with her for a few minutes before she convinced me that, you know what, she's probably got a point. And I went back and I eventually did rewrite those chapters. And in the end, the book turned out to be 100% better after her edits than they were mm -hmm. before her edits. And I thought the book was done when I sent it to her. Uh, and it clearly wasn't. So you have to be willing to listen when somebody tells you something that, right. uh, that, 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 that does make sense. You can reject it if you want to, but you should at least be open to the idea that a fresh set of eyes looking at something is going to be more like your reader uh -huh. than you, because you've lived with this thing. You know it inside and out. You, 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 you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. So right. you gotta, you gotta take other people's opinions. Well, I think you hit on something very important. You you felt strongly about those three chapters, but you had the conversation. And that's where it comes in. Like, yeah, okay, so I had the conversation about Zach, but but the the information didn't make sense to just delete him. It made sense to expand him. You made you had the conversation with your daughter about your three chapters and it turned out to make sense to rewrite the three chapters. So I think at the end of the day, what you have to do is look at it and say, okay, so here are my options. Which one feels better with my story? And go from there. And by the I'm way, actually just right quick. I am really looking forward to reading your books now <laughs> because well, my background is in um, a portion of my background is in law enforcement right. and it just, they sound fascinating. <laughs> the more you talk, I'm like, Oh, this sounds really good. <laughs> And if you're listening and you've never written a book before, what we're talking about right now is there are two types of edits and or three or four edits. But the primary two is called developmental, which is what we're talking about now. And then there are uh, what's the other one is copy it. edit, copy edit. Yeah. And you want to do copy edit twice if you can uh, with two different people because you're always going to find something. Now, one of the questions that I have about copy edit in that phase is, does Google Docs have track changes on it? Yes, it does. Does it? Yeah. Okay. I, I've never used it for that, and I'm starting to use it more now, and I've been working on a novel on Google Docs. I never used it before. I always used Word. Yes, yes, it does. 
it has a it has a collaboration yeah. tool also, so that you can have multiple people looking at the same text, and uh, and you can do what they call it making suggestions. Yeah. So you click on suggestion, and then anything that you put in. It shows up as a red line or as, a, as an interlineation, and it, and it gives the identity of the person who suggested it, if there's more oh, than cool. one person making mm -hmm. changes. Yeah, and that's what I do with, um, when I read for Jen or Jen reads for me, that's how we do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that we can um, see whether or not the other person has their head on straight that night while they're editing. Um, otherwise, one of the things that I really enjoy doing is having a printed copy to hand to people because I edit better if I see it on the page oh, and then too. edit it on the computer. Oh, I yeah. cannot do both at the same time. If you make a bunch of comments in a document for me, it's over. I... Yeah, some of that yeah. may be generational, uh, but I'm old, and uh, and I I, I wrote a, an article recently about uh, self-editing, you know, editing your own writing, uh, that's in the May issue of In Detail magazine, and uh, one of the things I recommend is you you got to print out your document and then look at it on the page because for me there's just things you will see when you look at a printed page that you will oh, yeah. see oh, yeah. on the screen. And one of the other suggestions that I make is to do your copy editing backwards. Start with the end of the book, the last paragraph, really the last paragraph of the last page, and read that paragraph as an isolated paragraph of text to do your copy editing. And then go to the previous paragraph, and then the previous paragraph, and read the whole book backwards. Uh, yeah, so you're not stuck in the story. Right. You're stuck in the editing. And you're it's not, yeah, you're not in the, there's no flow. You don't get lost in the, I know what's happening, and so I'm just, I'm right. just reading. You have to focus on each paragraph, one paragraph at a time, which I have found invaluable in terms of just finding mistakes. And oddly, I find more continuity errors that way because as you're reading backwards and you, you read something that you think, wait a minute, that doesn't match something that I read a little while ago later on in the book. And you, I, you find continuity problems that you don't see when you're reading it forwards for some reason. I don't know why that is, but it happens to me. So That's a really good idea. Like <laughs> so I have two to throw on top of those um, as far as self-editing is concerned. One, I just recently discovered this. Um, I'm looking tell you what it's called it's called natural reader um, and you can put pieces of text in and it reads it back to you um, I am partially deaf since since the brain surgeries and so I have to listen very carefully when someone's speaking especially if they're reading and so I've noticed I catch more if it's read to me. The other thing that I do is I, once I have my printed copy, I read it out loud and take notes on the printed copy because so many of us, yes. you know, we have so many different types of learners and that really plays into how we can edit best. And so if you are somebody who is an auditory learner, it helps so much to either have your story read to you or to read it aloud to yourself. Yeah, I, re I read it aloud to myself. Oh, great. It's great to do that, 100%. And this whole conversation about editing uh, really is, is about making your book that sort of extra 5% better. Uh -huh. Because it, when you pick up a book and you start reading a book, 
and you like it and you're, you're starting to get into the characters, but you're noticing little problems, you know, little grammar problems or a punctuation mark that's missing or a character's name that's not the correct, the correct name, little tiny things, you, you start having a negative impression about the book and about the author because of those little things. And if you can get rid of those, uh, people are going to have a much more positive overall impression of the, of the story, even though the story is the same. It's the little details that make up the book that, that will make an impression mm -hmm. on, the, on the reader, at least a lot of readers. So it's worth spending those hours. And it's hours. It's not minutes. Uh, it's no. days. It's weeks to get all of this done. But it's definitely worth the effort. Well, and I think one thing to remember, um, you were saying, somebody maybe was saying earlier that, you know, two rounds of copy editing. So I got antsy. And I had already paid somebody for editing on Salvagium. Um, they went through. It looked good to me. I read through it a couple of different times. It looked fine. <clears throat> My best friend was busy with other projects. And I was like, oh, I don't want to wait for her. So I hit publish. And I printed it. I got printed copies. I had like a box full of 50 books. And I was so excited. I, my dad made a comment one day. And he was like, I said, oh, well, there's a couple of, of typos and he goes oh there's more than a couple I was like oh okay granted he could have phrased it better but at the same time you know so my dad does my copy editing I mean he's you know 30 year submariner nuclear engineer whatever he's very picky so he goes through before I hit publish now and finds it but those are things self-editing we're not necessarily going to see those things even if you're reading it out loud, even if it's being read to you, even if you print it out, even if you change the font, all of these different suggestions, we're not necessarily going to see those things. Yet, I had paid somebody to do that. Apparently, she didn't see those things either. And so, you know, yeah, I spent all that money on it. I thought it was a perfect project. Find somebody who in your world who is picky about typos and punctuation and get them to read it one last time. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? If you, don't, if you can't find one person who's willing to spend the time to read the whole book, break it up into 10 segments and give it to 10 different people. Oh, definitely. Yeah, just I, have that last set of eyes or 10 sets of eyes or whatever. Just have somebody else preview it before you put it out there. Otherwise, you will wind up with 22 typos like I had. Um, now, granted, it was, you know, it's a little over 400 pages. So 22 typos isn't a lot, except it's a lot. Yeah. Um, my son now brings me, every time, I, he's a voracious reader, and every time he brings me um, a book, he'll go, look, look, there's a typo in this one, and they just print it. <laughs> So let me let me segue from editing into into um, cover design because mm. the cover of yeah. your book is the single most important thing in terms of you getting anyone to buy it who doesn't already know you. Yeah. People who know you, you know, you can get them to buy your book, but if somebody doesn't know who you are, unless you can buttonhole them in an elevator and give them a pitch orally, you, you got to have a, a book design, a cover design that is going to be at least adequate to make people look at the book and say, hmm, let me, let me spend five more seconds looking at this book to see whether it's something I might want to read. 
And you know, all of the experts, you can read all kinds of articles about how much time you have, five seconds, seven seconds, uh, right. for a reader to, to decide that this is something they want to spend more time on. And then you've got maybe 30 seconds after that. And then if they, if they read your blurb, then you've got uh, you know, another 30 seconds to, to hook them. But you have to start with the cover. And uh, I've done uh, four books. The first two, I did the cover design myself. No, actually, no. The first one, I did not do the cover design myself. Second one, I tried to do myself. And then ever since then, I've had a professional cover, cover designer um, handling the book design because I realized that it's so much better. Um, now, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars. There are ways you can, you, there, there are services out there you can find. There, I, there, are, there are a bunch of companies now who have what they'll call templates. There, there are pre-designed book covers that are within a genre. So they have a cover that's for a romance, a cover that's for a thriller, a cover that's for a, a, a comedy or, or, you know, like, so, and they've, they've pre-designed them. They look pretty good. They look pretty professional. You can't change them a lot. You can't make a lot of additions and subtractions. You're kind of stuck with what they have. Um, but they'll sell it to you. And then once you buy it, nobody else can have it. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a sort of a unique book design. It's not like you're buying something that there's going to be 50 books on the market that all have pretty much the same cover. Uh, now they look a little bit less well-designed than a truly professionally designed cover, but they're pretty good and they look pretty professional and the fonts are pretty decent. And so for 50 bucks or a hundred bucks, you can get a cover that looks a thousand times better than anything that you can do yourself on your Mac or on your, on your PC with your, the, the photograph your wife took, uh, unless you're a professional graphic artist, uh, which I am assuming that you're not, uh, doing your own book cover is a mistake. It, it, it just is not going to look like it needs to look. And uh, my advice is go out there and spend a little bit of money at least to get a good looking cover because you need it. How about you, Lenny? I actually designed my own, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I had a couple of advantages. Um, I, if you couldn't tell, I'm kind of friendly. So I have a lot of friends and, and a couple of my friends are graphic designers and taught me how to do some of the stuff on my own. I have actually sold more books because of the cover of Savagium than I have sold anything else. It's the book has haunted, possessed, I don't know, a doll in it. And I actually happen to own the doll that is on the cover. I was also a photographer for a while. Um, I've bounced careers a lot. I know a lot of people in a lot of different areas. And so I've had the ability to learn those things on my own. So I do my own. I honestly can't afford to do anything else, but I really like the way they turned out. And, but I, I also have that help. So if I didn't have the help, I may have made a different decision. You are the, uh, perhaps the rare exception that you, that, to be able to do that. But uh, I, I can mm -hmm. tell you that I thought that I was pretty good with computers and I was pretty, pretty, pretty good with, uh, with designing. And my wife was a photographer and she took a wonderful picture. And I tried to turn it into the book cover for my serious uh, literary fiction novel. And it was, eh, it was okay. And, and, but, but just, eh, is not good enough. 
and, and I now have really come to realize the difference that a uh, a really eye-catching uh, cover can have. So you've obviously done it yourself and done a great job and excellent. Good job. I, I, I hired but, but like I said, I have I have the advantage of friends who can walk me through parts of it. I, I have um, in my community of friends and cycle of friends and what started this show um, was a dream of doing interviews of artists and musicians, which are my close personal friends in my area. So that was the catalyst for this show. I have so many talented artists as friends. I hired a designer the first time and the designer, I didn't like anything but the font that they created. So I kept the font. I literally paid another designer and she came up with something that was cool. And I used pieces of hers and I made the rest. Long story short, my design career, and if you look at my websites and you look at my stuff, is all because I started messing with my book covers. Yeah. <laughs> is why. <laughs> so when I create a book cover now, I not only create the cover, but I give it to my artist friends and ask them, what would you do? Would you make this better? And I've gotten great support from them. I actually, my last book cover circulated on Facebook for a little while within a community of my local friends, mm -hmm. uh, giving me suggestions of things that I should do or include or exclude, which was really nice. But, you know, I, the thing, the one thing that resource that's out there that I find very leery is Fiverr in doing a book cover. So I have avoided Fiverr for most things, just simply I, because I use it every once in a while. Heard, but I don't. That's why I don't know anything about it. What What exactly is it? Fiverr is Fiverr is people with computers and copies of Photoshop and every other program you ever heard of that are willing to beg, borrow, copyright, and steal other people's work and sell it as their own for $5. This uh, sounds suspect. It is. <laughs> and that is the warning that I have for using Fiverr for copyrighted material is you want to make sure that you own the image. That yeah, you're not, maybe just a little you're not buying the image and the thing that you said, Kevin, from the groups that sell pre done book covers mm -hmm. is sometimes those include photographs that they have gotten off of stock photography sites that are very restrictive for commercial use. Most of the copyrighted pictures that are out there do not allow you to use it as a book cover or a t-shirt design. They're one-time use, not yeah. multiple-use product. So the way you get away around this is you use imagery and do composites so that the image that you start out with is indescribable of what you end up with. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
That that is that is it is true. You have to avoid the copyright infringement. I mean, a hundred percent right. Um, one thing you can do if you're looking for an image and you, you're not a photographer and you 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 want something specific, if you go on Flickr, uh, if you use Flickr, uh, F L I K R, you can search photographs that photographers have up on the internet. Right, that's a and really great site. And great so resource, Pixlr. and you can and you can choose to search only for images that that have an unrestricted copyright what they call yeah. common a common license yeah uh so that uh you, you can use it usually the photographer wants attribution um so uh i recently published a, a short story in my in my mike stoneman series and i found a wonderful picture on the internet contacted the photographer said can i use this for my book cover he said of course, I'd love to see my, my photograph uh, on your book cover. Um, in fact, the cover for Deadly Enterprise, there's a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge with the Manhattan skyline in the background. That was on Flickr. And the photographer has, is credited uh, uh, on the inside cover of the book, photo by, and he's happy to have the photo uh, credit. And he gave it to me for no money. So it, there's a lot of photographers who will be thrilled to have you use their picture without paying for it as long as you give them attribution. Uh, but you do have to be very careful not to use something that, uh, that has a restricted copyright. You're 100% right. And when you produce this image the, um, for Amazon and for Ingram, because I use both, and I know that most of the universe uses Amazon and the reason that I use both is that Ingram has distribution to other places like close bookstores. Amazon doesn't. So Amazon is just Amazon. So I play, not that I've sold hardly anything in distribution, but Ingram also has some really cool layout tools like that book calculator the book shipping calculator. So mm-hmm. when you're laying your book out and you're making the decision of what size to make it and do the cover design, both Amazon and um, Ingram have a downloadable PDF so that you can put your book cover, fit it to the PDF, and then upload that PDF to them as the physically as the physical print copy. If you you it's done in layers and the you, the one to use for ingra or uh, adobe is illustrator for that yep adobe illustrator is terrific and that's that's really what the industry uses i have heard a couple of people there's an apple uh program and i don't remember what the name of it is that a lot of pe- some designers use that uh does pdfs uh, but the point of all this is you're going to need to get two copies of your image size because one cover is for the ebook, actually three. Uh, CD covers are different too. And I your audio book cover is a different shape, so it needs to be a different uh, a different design. And yeah, your yeah. your your the thumbnail that goes up for your ebook um, needs to be distinguishable at a glance at a small size. So remember that it's not going to be uh, five by eight on the computer screen. It's going to be smaller than that. So you want your, your cover to be uh, distinguishable. You want to be able to read the title. You want to be able to see the author's name uh, when it's scrolling by on the, on the computer, on your phone or on your laptop. Uh, and, and that's, 
it's, it's critical that uh, somebody be able to see it and recognize it and then stop and look, and look harder. Right. So I think the last thing I wanted to cover um, was, was marketing, uh, which is the worst part of being an author, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and, <laughs> and yeah, listen, you got to sell the thing. <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're a person who's just writing a book because you, you just always wanted to write a book and you, and you, you don't really care about selling them much and uh, you're going to give copies away for, for holiday presents to your friends and family and, and, and you're not really worried about uh, making money from it, then great. You know, write it, publish it get it out there, print some copies, have a, have a box of hard copies in your basement, and, and that's great. Um, but if you want to actually make some money off of, your, off of your writing, or at least break even, right now my goal is to break even. Uh, five years from now when I'm retired from my day job, I want to be making money on my writing. But right now I'll be happy if I can just break even. Um, but you, you have to at least think about you know, how to get yourself in a position where when your book is launched, that you might actually get some people to think about pre-ordering it and, and, and buying it. And, and that process, and I made, I was awful about, I mean, the first, actually my second book, but the first one that I was really serious about writing, uh, I just hit the publish button and I was just psyched. Okay, I have a book. Now I got to think about what to do with it. And that's completely wrong. Um, you have to start thinking about how you want to market the book six months or more in advance of the date that you're going to push the button and say, now it's published. Uh, yeah. Or you're just, you're, you're hopelessly behind the curve as far as getting the word out. Um, so again, there's a lot of resources that you can look at out on the, uh, on the intertubes as we sometimes call them around my house. Um, Amazon has some good ones. Um, Readsy is a good resource. They have a lot of good, uh, writers digest has a tremendous amount of resources yeah. for, for, for writers. There's, there's a lot of places you can go to find advice about what to do to start planning for your marketing plan. Uh, you need to have a marketing plan. Uh, you need to think about who, at what point you're going to reveal the cover and, and where you're going to do that and how you're going to get the word out to a, a, an increasingly large number of people that you will have a book that will be published on a date, uh, a publication date, and, and that's going to be somewhere out in the future. So you can now start trying to get people to pre-order it. Um, pre, a pre-order is something I didn't even know existed when I published my, my first self-published book. Um, and now I, uh, I'm immediately thinking about the pre-order process uh, now for my next book, uh, which is not going to be published probably till the very end of 2020. So it, it, it's, there's, there's, there's a lot of things you need to do and to need to think about. And now is the time to start doing that when you're a long way away from, mm -hmm. from the final publication. You know, you, before the beta readers get the book, you should be already thinking about uh, the, the marketing plan. I have a great story about this. And uh, my favorite musician story right now is this guy that's in the pop culture who is uh, named Ed Sheehan. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've, we've heard of him. And yeah, Ed, funny. I know that name. <laughs> and Ed did something amazingly smart. You see, 
what he did is he played as a youth in bars and restaurants and he did the same thing every other musician does he go, went through band after band after band and he's a very talented man but what he did differently than other people is he carried a notebook with him and he got people's email addresses so when he produced his first cd and i'm going to get the numbers wrong he sold somewhere around he got the CD, ordered 5,000, and was out like in three or four days of the CD. And the college kids took it and copied it onto Napster and um, <laughs> made it so that he couldn't really sell anymore because it was floating around Napster, but he became such uh, so known within the college community that when he had the second CD, he was on his like sixth uh, notebook and had somewhere around 10,000 names and sold 10,000 copies of his second CD right through the internet to his email list. Supposedly, when he came to the United States and he went to the record company, he gave the record company 50,000 email addresses and said, I'd like to make a commercial product with you. If you go out to YouTube and look at his latest thing, he's got kind of a rap tune and he's singing into the microphone. You need me. I don't need you. I can go back to selling CDs out of my backpack on the streets of London. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a good place to be. <laughs> but um, a lot of people don't realize also the favorite Christmas story that everybody knows with Ebenezer Scrooge was a self-published book. Yes. Uh, Dickens uh, got fired from his publisher and put all of his things up and he published that book on his own. So you can do it too, but you got to sell it. <laughs> you got to sell it. You do. So, and go ahead, Lainey. Uh, well, one of the things I was thinking about so my son is writing a book and it's, it's actually really good. It is connected to his gameplay because, you know, Tripp and I were talking the other day about how he's a gamer. Well, he's got a YouTube channel, the Amigo Adventures that he plays yeah, random games with his best friend. Cool. Um, his book is related to his gameplay. So one of the things that he'll be able to do if he decides, you know, in the long run, whenever he's done and it's polished and everything, if he decides to publish, he's already got all of these people that he plays these games with. And since it's related to that storyline, he's got a built-in audience that he can market to. So they, they're all talking about this story that he's writing as he's going. But that's, that's an unconventional type of marketing. It's not something that we generally look at as writers and we go, oh, well, we, oh, I can market to the people I play online games with. Or, um, so whatever you're writing, there are some very unique ways to market sure. that, that we don't necessarily come up with. Kevin, yours is investigation, right? Yeah, Crime it's... fiction. There are so many events for police officers, for community policing where the, the people are getting involved, the, the officers are getting involved with 
the community, although probably not right now. But um, those are events that would be, whenever I went to those as, you know, in uniform, um, I wasn't a cop, but I was in uniform with the police department. There were lots of people that would be there with these different types of law enforcement type crafts. Um, and books fall into that. I write horror, so I do things like, you know, horror festivals or uh, what is the thing I'm trying to think of? There are movie events. And I do exactly what Tripp was saying. I, I carry them around in my car and, you know, oh, hey, that's really cool. I, yeah, I wrote a book, blah, 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 in conversation. It's generally a lot smoother than that. Sure. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually have some. Yeah, I have one, you know, I have one right I have here. with me, it's only $15. I'll, um, I'll sign it for you. Exactly. <laughs> and even random people at the grocery store. Although the best yeah. marketing I think I've had is when my sister-in-law went, you know, around yelling in parking lots, my sister wrote a book. You guys should buy my sister. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, that remains my favorite. You, you, you take advantage of any, any networking opportunities uh, that you can. I'll, I'll give you one example for me. I, I play poker, um, tournament poker. Now, that used to be a thing when you could go to casinos and, uh, and play tournament poker. Tournament and poker, huh? I've played in the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas the last five years. And that happens to be okay, a really awesome. interesting community. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, I've sold books to poker players just sitting at the table, just chatting and say, oh, here's my card. I hand up my cards at the poker mm-hmm. table to all my, all my uh, fellow players. And sometimes somebody wants one. But I, I've had uh, many of them uh, over the years now say, you know, is there any poker in the book? And the answer is, no, it's a, it's a crime fiction book. It's about a New York City homicide detective. There's no poker. Uh, well, guess what? In book, in book three, the one I'm just getting ready to publish later this year, my main character is on a cruise ship. So the, the, the title, Oh, so he can play poker. He's playing poker in the casino on the cruise ship. So there's a whole poker scene in the, in the next book. So now when I'm, when I'm marketing that to my poker playing friends and their friends, and I can say, yeah, there's poker in this book. So it's just a little thing that now is a little hook for them. And now I can tell them about that and how it happens and who the character is. And if I can get them yeah. interested, then boom, there's a sale. Um, and if they like it, there's a whole community of poker players out there that talk to each other. Yeah. And so you can you get word of mouth. And listen, all the Internet is is one giant word of mouth network. Um, oh, yeah, yeah it, sure. it, absolutely. And, it's, and this is the thing that these marketing guys, these crooks that – are preying <laughs> on us <laughs> due to us is there is no magic first it says on my website and live by this advertising costs and publicity is free <laughs> all publicity is free tv and radio and newspaper articles and magazine articles if you so wish depending on your genre these are free to get to these people want to know who you are but there's a difference in the genres and when you're in the fictional versus non-fiction market finding people that will want to talk about a novel in any of the magazines or the news stations 
not so much. It's really reserved for yeah. nonfiction. And that's, that's exactly why me wanting to be a novelist, that I took the time to establish myself to write two nonfiction books. Yeah. The reason was is, oh, and by the way, I have a novel. And which is perfect. Yeah. You have, a, you have a name first and then a novel. That's a good way to do it. And the other thing that we kind of glossed over is the email addresses. When you collect an email address, make sure that you make a copy. And by the way, I was working on that today of making another list of email addresses that I have caught captured that are people that I've communicated with. There are companies on the internet, and if you guys look me up, you'll find that I'm a privacy advocate, and these companies that, like Google and Aweber and MailChimp and others, share your information and define the market by your own list. Use spreadsheets and keep your own sheets. Don't give your customers away. One of the worst things that somebody can do is they'll, I, I have a company customer for my IT stuff. And when the coronavirus thing came along, I had them all locked down. Their email was private. Everything is private and they've got a website. And what they did was they got a Gmail address and they started having customers emailing to that Gmail address. And lo and behold, product was being advertised to their customer base, not from them. That's because Google figured out that these are, those customers are interested in that product, just like your products. So these, these big companies that do mailing lists and things, do it yourself off your own computer one at a time. These guys that make it all so so easy are out there to steal your customer and make it harder for you to sell just saying well that that's actually one of those things that's really good for people to hear um i know i unsubscribe from things all the time because i'm just inundated um in fact Kevin, I just noticed that I have an email from you from right after the other night when we were talking before. I didn't see it because I get so many emails all the time that it had come in at the same time as like five pieces of junk email that I never want to, wanted and just annoys me. And so I find that I don't actually check my email as much as I should, nor do I um, say stay subscribed to things I generally would because there's just so much there. So the more we can do to protect our customers and our readers, the better off we'll be in the long run because we'll be seen. Right. right. In addition to not losing the customers. Right. And I, you know, it, it's, we get in, inundated with so much that um, I found somebody today that was asking me about being on my show. I had completely missed them. And they were like from th- three weeks ago. Oh, I was wow. Look- I was looking for something. I was like, hey, what's this? Oh, shit. I never replied. Well, and that's exactly yeah. what I did with Kevin's email from the other night. I just, I never saw it. <laughs> and so I'll answer you later. But, <laughs> but 
but it's that kind of thing. I mean, we've got to be really careful with what we do to our customers also. That's one of the things I love emails, um, newsletters from authors. I love them as long as they don't come all the time. It's one thing to hear from an author, you know, every couple of weeks, you know, every so often, whatever. But if it's like, okay, I'm getting emails all the time. I, I had subscribed to a newsletter for a specific author because I, I read his book and I loved it and it was awesome. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. No, I felt shocked <laughs> from just the newsletter coming all the time. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where you have to figure out what kind of an approach you want to have with with your readers because they are your customers. You don't want to irritate them and you don't want to push yeah. them away. You want to start slow. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, be, be, be judicious about how frequently you, you, you try to send people things. The big money guys that I've met. And I mean, the guys that sell some of these guys you may have heard of in the publicity world. The big money guys make sure that every communication that they have with their customer, in their case, my contact with me, they were giving me something in that communication. It's not that they were telling me about their honeymoon and their pets and their other things that people put in many of these new letters, but he w- they were giving me things that I could use in my business each time. And those little tidbits is what builds the relationship mm-hmm. of trust. And that's what it is. It's all a relationship of trust. No matter what we're doing, if we're building, it's the same as building a friendship. Um, you wouldn't, basically stalk a friend or ignore them completely and then just ask them to buy something every once in a while. No, you would, you would reciprocate, you would give to get. And, and that's the same thing we need to do with our readers. And, you know, Trev, you mentioned the thieves out there. So since we're doing this podcast, partly for the benefit of people who might be new to the self-publishing world, uh, a couple of warnings about people who will prey upon you. Um, as soon as you have a book that's published, you will start getting emails uh, from people who will say they're trying to help you. We're gonna, I'm going to help you market your book. I can help you get to 1,000 sales. I can get you on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, you got to be get very – reviews. I get your reviews. Oh, yeah, I got two of those today. And, you know, all of these things, you, you, you got to be smart. You're a consumer. It's caveat emptor, right? You got to be, you got to be aware of people who are cold calling you or sending you random emails uh, because you have a book out. Um, I, I, I'm having fun right now because I, I but, but two months ago I published on Amazon uh, a short story that, that I'm giving away for free as, you know, to anybody who, who wants it. It's, the, it's, it's, it's related to the series that I'm doing, stars, stars the same character. But it's not a book that's ever going to make a penny for me other than the fact that it helps me market myself. Um, and yet I'm getting emails constantly from people who troll Amazon to see what's out there and then send, they, they send me a, a, a emails telling me, how, oh, I loved your book and it's, it could be a bestseller and if you, if you just come to us and help, well, we can help you make this into, yeah, they, they have no idea what my book is. They haven't, it's a short story. It's 5,000 words. It's not even, it's not, it's not, a, not even a novella. Um, but you just, so you have to be, you have to be very careful. Um, and you mentioned reviews and reviews are important. 
certainly getting reviews for your new book will help you be able mm -hmm. to get people to take it seriously and will will help people who see it randomly on the internet look it up and say oh it's got three reviews well i'm not not that excited about it um so finding people in advance who are interested in your book and who are, who are willing to read it and and post an honest review of it on the internet okay. on, on amazon or on goodreads or on bookbub th that's very helpful uh it's very good to get real reviews from real readers um be very careful about anybody who solicits you and says they're gonna they're gonna write a review for you for money uh, there are professional editorial review services, which some are legitimate, uh, some of them not so much. Um, but anybody who's unsolicited contacting you and offering to write a review for you for money, be very careful about that. Well, uh, there's one thing that I offer my customers, and I can edit this out if you're not in agreement to it, so don't worry. <laughs> But I'm, I'm known on the internet for being the clearinghouse when people have questions, questionable communications. I chase down trolls and bots on Twitter and crooks on Facebook. So um, I've known for that through my, through my customer base and my fan base. So what I'm saying is that if you get some kind of communication in on the internet and you're not sure about it shoot me a message and shoot or shoot kevin a message or shoot laney a message we've seen this stuff before so you know that's the point of us kind of doing this is you're getting our stuff but it's a way that we can actually give back to you as well and that is by if you get some kind of weird offer, and by the way, the rules of my emails, and I don't know about Laney or Kevin, but I get inundated with emails. So if I don't answer you in like 48 or 36 hours, send me an email again. It doesn't mean that I was being rude. It just means I didn't see it. <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah, or and hit, that's fine, Trip. I mean, or hit listen, me that's, a that's DM fine. on Twitter. Um, that seems to work pretty well. That's another one I do. I I answer people on Twitter unless you're soliciting something from me. If 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 you follow me and then immediately send me a message saying, "Oh, hey, I need financial assistance for such and such," or immediately the very first thing you say to me is, "Go buy my book." Um, chances are real good I'm not going to answer. I. <clears throat> Build a relationship with me before you ask me for money. But, um, but yeah, hit me up on social media. I answer that more frequently than I answer anything else, actually. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, the, the, one of the things you'll see are solicitations. You, I mean, talk about these new, a, new, a new author is, uh, yeah, you can spend $500 or, or $700 to get a, a, an editorial review from Kirkus or from from uh, Writer's Digest or, you know, there, there are, and they're, listen, they're legitimate services. Um, but how much value you're going to get out of uh, paying hundreds of dollars for somebody to give you a three paragraph review that you can put on your Amazon sale page? I, I don't, for not most much. people, it's not going to be very, val you're not going to get a lot of return on that investment. So you know, don't, and I don't get hung up on it. I don't know about you, but as a reader, I glaze right over those. I don't care. Um, 
I go looking for the excerpts from actual readers because, yeah, okay, you were paid for this review and I get it. It's unbiased and blah, 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 blah. And it's very literary. I don't care. <laughs> I much prefer to know what Joe Bob from Missouri want, thought of your book or, you know, Brooklyn from Seattle, Washington, because those are the people who read the book because it interests them. And they're more likely to say, oh, hey, this wasn't exactly a genre that I enjoy, but here are the things that I liked about the book. Here are the things I didn't like about the book. And then I can make my decision based on what I think, knowing what peers thought. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I have not paid for any professional reviews for any of my books. Um, and chances are really good I won't. Um, because as a reader, I much prefer to know what other readers think. Yeah, I would say the one, one piece of advice I would give to a new, uh, newly published uh, author, somebody thinking about publishing that book, is try to find some other authors in the same genre as you mm -hmm. and, and, and reach out and get to know them, get to know them on, on author platforms or, or you know, go to their website, send them an email, introduce yourself. Don't mm -hmm. ask them for anything. Just, just you know, to try, to, try to build a relationship. And it, if you can get another author who writes in the same field, general, you know, broad field, um, to read your book, and and uh, and write a review for your book that that to me is more valuable to 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 marketing oh, yeah. than some you know than, than a than a you know the new york times book review uh, wrote a review of me if i pay enough money uh it's you know and most authors are not going to write a positive review for your book if your book stinks it is not right. going to do it. I mean, you know, yeah. gonna, if, but if it's, you know, but if, but if they legitimately like it, uh, they'll give you a review of it. And then you can say, okay, here, here's an author you may have heard of, or at least, you know, an author that's got other books out. And this is what he or she had to say about my book. That's gold in terms of, oh, yeah. uh, of marketing your book, because now you're branching out from your own little circle of, of readers and friends to maybe a broader circle of people who know that other author or have read that other author's books. And, and that's the way you build. You build in concentric circles, always a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Well, and I'll tell you what, one of the, the most amazing feelings on the planet is having another author give you a, a good review on Amazon. It's true. Um, both Cassandra Windwalker and A.M. Honchel have both reviewed books of mine. And seriously, they, they, I got, I don't know, I must have gone looking for it because I don't think we get notified if we get reviews. But I, I pulled it up one day and just having those two people do reviews for me because I admire them so much as writers that to have them say such nice things about my work. I mean, yeah, okay, yay, it's going to bring in other readers, but oh my goodness, look what they said. <laughs> I mean, it was such a big deal. Yeah, it makes you feel darn good. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good feeling. Your book, when you're reaching out to somebody that you just meet, they are buying the book from you. So when you're marketing your stuff on the internet and you're looking for publicity for yourself, the reason that somebody wants to buy something from you is because of you, not for what is in your book. And yes. that 
get lo- gets lost in translation by so many people that I even have guests on my show that believe that the book is the reason that they're on the show. And it's like, yeah, we can talk about your book, but let's talk about you instead. Well, and that's, that is something. Um, so I teach you know, this summer, I teach creative writing and I teach improv. And one of the things that I've been talking to my kids about quite a lot since, since actually I got the email from Kevin and was going to do this was how important it, the presentation of yourself is. And it falls into both of my classes. All of the kids from one class are in the other class. And how you have to start that presentation of yourself from the moment you decide to write. Because all of that, now that we live in the age of technology, all of it hangs with you. So whoever you are right now, even if you are a totally different person in 10 years, that part of your image is still going to be there somewhere. So think about how you want to present yourself to readers, how you want, and, 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 um, based on a comment, I have a disclaimer, please don't be inauthentic. You have to be your authentic self, but just think about what part of who you are you want to share with people. Right. Um, 12 year olds are great about reminding you that, oh, you mean I get to just make up who I am? No. What you have to do is you have to be your authentic self, but you have to decide how you want that to look to people. Who do you want to be? How do you want to present yourself? Because that will hang with you. Right. You it know, along the, along the way of presentation too is, and, and Trip, you know this, you, you should have in your head the 10 second summary of what's your book about? Because sure. people will ask you, oh, what's yeah. your book about? And uh, as much as you don't want to be robotic about it, you, you kind of have to have your... 10 second elevator pitch ready for, Oh, this is what the book is about. Uh, so you can tell That's people a when long, they ask. Kevin, it's seven, seven. <laughs> uh, okay. We'll give you seven. Um, but then, then listen, it's important for you to be right. able to, to have a, uh, an answer to that question because people will ask you. Well, and, and I would suggest like actually coming up with something that sounds like write it down because I thought I knew what I was talking about. I wrote the book. I thought I knew what I was talking about. Yeah, I got, yeah, no. I I went on my first interview and they said, so tell us about your book. And I was like, uh, it's, uh, well, it's horror and it's like set in Vermont and, and there's a ghost. And I mean, it wasn't that bad, but <laughs> it felt that bad from the inside. I went back and I listened to it to make sure it wasn't that bad. Get it down, memorize it. Speak it enough so that it doesn't sound robotic, so that you don't sound like you're reading off something, but make sure you know what you're saying. (laughs) I had someone ask me recently when I was pitching the book, I gave them the pitch, uh, and the response I got was, what's the first sentence? And I had to really think about that for a second. Like, wait a minute, what, what, what is the first sentence of the first page of the of the of, of the book and uh, i hadn't i hadn't thought about it i, I couldn't tell him I, I i off the top of my head i didn't have it handy so uh that's well, i got nothing <laughs> yeah. i can't tell you i Although know the first for, scene <laughs> for nick's alba the one that i released this week the novelette it's snow white so it starts with once upon a time, time. there you go that's yeah easy. there was a beautiful queen sitting in a window <laughs> something along those lines because it's the same story but I can't, I have absolutely no idea what the first line of either of my other books is. 
was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> you can't just steal other people's lines. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, from, so now I actually am thinking as I'm, as I'm writing the next book about that first line and what it's going to be and something that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, that's just a little thing. But Yeah, no, that, I know some okay. professional writers that are like really into that. <laughs> well, it's one of the things that you have to think about. Um, we did some talking about content the other day, but the first, the first thing you need, like, Yes, just sit down and write your book and be really happy that you're writing your book. But when you start in on the content editing, really look at the that first paragraph because if that first paragraph is not interesting, that book goes right back on the shelf. Yeah, it's got to have a hook. Yeah, if you're, hook. if you're James Patterson, uh, you can get away with a slow start because people are going to buy your book no matter what and they'll, they'll take the time book? to finish reading it. But yeah, if, <laughs> If you're trying to get somebody to read your book based on they're going to open the cover and read the first page or they're going to click on the Amazon preview and read the read the first page of your book, that first page has got to tell them something. It's got to something's got to happen. It's got to be a character there that you're immediately interested in finding out who this person is. So, yeah, you do have to spend a lot of time thinking about the first impression that you're going to you get three first impressions. You get the cover, you get the blurb, and then you get the first page. And all three of them need to be positive uh, in order to get that person to say, well, then let me, let me go further. So. So I'm working on something right now where the very first page of the book, I kill one of the main characters. Um, I write horror. <laughs> <laughs> let me remind Somebody you usually dies early on in, in my books too. Um, I know that. <laughs> I love to kill characters and it's usually in a really evil kind of twisted sadistic way i have a degree in criminal justice and one in psychology so i use them but but it's stuff like that i am not super well known i have a fan base but it's not huge yet you notice the yet yet Um, (laughs) but but so when i start something i have to think about okay well what is going to shock and intrigue my audience how am i going to keep them reading this and and sometimes you kill somebody on the first page of the book. And, you know, sometimes you have to drop enough clues on that first page that it's like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I need to keep going. If I were writing romance, it would be a totally different thing. I'm not sure I could write romance without killing people, though. <laughs> it, I'm sure it's been done, uh, but not, not to be. Well, that's what, I, that's what I write. I write romantic horror and uh, paranormal mystery with, romance um i can write romance as long as it has other stuff but i I don't know how i'd sit down and write i have so much respect for romance writers who can sit down and write an entire romance novel where like normal stuff happens and it's still interesting yeah yeah no me too i i'm there with you I, uh, I, I do I not it. understand like and i know that forever this the romance genre has had this this, um, I don't know, people have this really weird, not quite as good viewpoint. And yet it sells more, more than anything yet, else. It's the biggest well, selling genre. No, but it's hard. I tried this. It's hard. Good for you, romance writers. I'm so impressed. <laughs> I so, I, yeah, I think that there are, there are a lot of things that, that new writers need to think about. And I think... Um, 
we have touched on a whole lot, but there's always something else. And I don't know about you, Kevin, but I'm also willing, you know, find me on Twitter, ask questions, ask for advice on where to go to look for answers. Yeah. Well, um, when you're listening to this podcast, there is a page that goes along with this podcast on my web server that has the contact information for both of you and me. Great. It's my server, so I don't put anything about me on that. It'll be both <laughs> of you that asks about your bio and your all your social links and everything else to make it super easy for anybody on the internet to find you. And it also helps with your SEO and points people to this podcast with your name, which is my point, my greedy point. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's actually, you know what? That's something we didn't talk about. And that is make it easy for people to find you. Oh yeah. Uh, don't, oh, yeah. Don't, don't hide your, your identity uh, on the internet. I mean, I, I have a, my website is kevingchapman.com. That's my website. So it's very easy for people to look me up. Uh, but uh, you, should have, you, ha you should get a website, uh, even if it's a free one, and make it very easy to find. And, uh, and, and, oh, well, let's talk about websites real quick because that's my background and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of people that will tell you that you need a website for your book for every title. Do not do no, that. No, oh my no, goodness, no, 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 no. I made that mistake. I made that mistake. Do bad not idea. Do bad idea. <laughs> a lot of work no. no not only is it a lot of work but then when you start the next book you have all of these people who are going to the website for the old book you don't want them going there no. so yeah so i finally figured it out i actually did set up a separate website or it's not a website it's a it's a facebook group for the mike stoneman thriller series so for the series of books there's a web there's a facebook group but my website is just me and all right. my books yeah. are on one website. Yeah, I, I don't want my readers trying to have to find me over four or five different websites. Now you want to make it simple. Right. Um, what I've done is I have a couple of different things. Like I do, I do editing, as I mentioned before, and we'll plug once again. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I do editing. And so my rates for editing are on my author website. And I also do um, online coaching for homeschool parents. Um, I was homeschooled. Uh, we homeschool my son in addition to me being a public school teacher. So I have that part, but it has its own separate page on my, my website. That way, everything about me is findable, but it's also organized so that it's not like total dump of information all at one time. Um, but yeah, no, I just list all of my books on the same website. Yeah, like well, how to get I, them. Two things. Well, uh, you know, thank you guys for being on. The other side of it is uh, I got to figure out how I can be one of your students. I really. Why <laughs> <laughs> I, I teach enough subjects? <laughs> I'll do. I'll do. I'll, uh, I'll lie on the internet about my age. I think. That's what I need to do. <laughs> it's pretty simple. I'll just pick out some random kid. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I do Dude, appreciate you guys. You have my guys. email address. You can learn from me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. I hope you enjoyed this program. And obviously you did if you got to the very end. I would appreciate it very much if you would share this podcast with other folks that you know out there. And please, please leave me a review on iTunes. I really need to know that you exist. 
I really appreciate it, and I will be making another episode very shortly. Until then, adios.